Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Today, we're going to be looking at the prophet Jonah, the prophet Jonah. And this is the third prophecy of the writing prophets as we look at them chronologically. We've already looked at Obadiah, the prophet Yoel, and now we're looking at Jonah. And when we look at Jonah, it's very similar to Obadiah in this sense, that it's not written to Israel or to Judah, the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. is written to an outside entity. It's written to the city of Nineveh, or I should say it in this way. It's a prophecy about Nineveh, Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's not about any city within the land. It's a city outside of the land, very similar to Obadiah, which was about the Edomites. Now we're going to be dealing with the Ninevites. When we look at the historical setting, we're looking at about 780 to 760 B.C. Amos is going to start his prophecy around 760 B.C., so they are contemporaries. And we're dealing with a time frame in which Uzziah, or how do in English we say Uzziah, is the king of Judea. And in the north, we're looking at Jeroboam II. It is a time of peace. It is a time of prosperity. It is also a time in the north of idolatry and wickedness and immorality. And in that context, we're looking at peace and security within the land, but spiritual corruption from within side. But then there's this city called Nineveh that is the capital of the Assyrian Empire expanding and becoming even stronger. And during this time, God is going to ask Jonah to go to Nineveh and to talk about God's judgment that is coming against the city. And when he hears this command, Instead of being obedient to God's calling upon his life, very different from Isaiah. Isaiah is going to come about 50 years later. Isaiah is going to respond and say, here am I. He presents himself to God. Here am I. Use me, Lord, however you want to use me. Jonah is going to do the very opposite. He's going to get on a boat and go as far away from Nineveh, the opposite direction to Tarshish, Tarshish was probably a city in southwest part of Spain. And if you look at a map from Nineveh to Tarshish, it is completely opposite direction. And he's going to go to what we believe the city of Joppa. Today it's called Jaffa or Jaffo. And he's going to go there and he's going to get on a boat and he's going to flee from the call of God upon his life. And we're going to look at these four chapters, and we're going to study them going chapter by chapter. Very simple message, but very powerful at the same time. Some people think that when it's complex and it's hard to understand, that it's more powerful. Jonah is not that way. It's very simple, very clear what God is saying to Jonah. It is very clear why Jonah is running away from the call of God. It is very clear the Ninevites repenting before God and God's salvation that comes to them. 
We're going to go through these four chapters. And one thing I want to say from the forefront, there's a lot of teachers or I would say biblical scholars. I don't even consider them scholars. They're so hypocritical sometimes in how they approach the Bible. They will say that this is a myth. It was never meant to be understood as a literal story. I want to remind them that this is written in narrative form and that with God, all things are possible. Those same scholars will believe that God created all things, but say it's impossible that God would raise up a fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah is in its belly for three days and three nights. They will say it's, it's a myth, and it could not be understood in that way. And they will say it's trying to teach a moral lesson. That's not how it's written. It's written in narrative form. It is written as to teach us a historical uh, fact of what took place in Jonah's life. And if God created all things, why is it hard to believe that God could create a fish to swallow him, to protect him, to keep him, and then to spit him out onto dry ground? I believe all the Bible is true. I believe all the history of the Bible. I believe everything that it teaches is true. It is unified. It builds upon precept upon precept from beginning to the end. So I am teaching this as a historical fact. And seeing the principles within this story that God worked through this man's life, even through his rebellion, to bring redemption to a pagan city that was not even part of Israel. Now, Alan is here with me this afternoon, and I'm so glad he's here. And one thing I mentioned at the beginning, some people make the mistake. They say, this is the gospel of the old covenant. Here we see God's plan of redemption or God's love for Gentiles and his plan of redemption for him. And I say, the whole Bible is full of God's plan of redemption for the whole world. Even the covenant that was made with Abraham is that through him, all the families, the nations of the earth would be blessed. The whole dealings with Israel as a nation was that they would be a priesthood to the nations. They could build a house to the nations that the nations the Gentiles, would come to know the God of Israel. The whole Bible shows God's plan of redemption for everyone. So here we get a clear picture of it. We see it in such a powerful and passionate way, and we see Gentiles repenting before God and God forgiving them. So Alan's here with me, and hopefully that's a good enough background for us to jump into the text. Remember, everything that we're doing as we're studying God's Word is original intent. And so we're going to look at the principles from its original meaning of what it meant to see what it means for us today. So let's start with chapter 1. And Alan, if you don't mind reading the first chapter, we're looking at 17 verses here. Yeah, absolutely. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down, and fallen sound asleep. 
So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. So he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him in the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. And again, I want to say that this to me is a historical fact. I believe all the Word of God, and I believe when you start attacking the history of the Bible and say it's only the teachings that is the Word of God or what we should be focused upon, then the whole Bible begins to fall apart. So we look at this as a historical fact that God spoke to Jonah, and the call is in verse 2. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. Now, Ellen, if I heard God speak to me, we do not know if this is an audible voice or this is something that they understood clearly with inside of him. This is what God was asking him to do. We're not sure about that. It could have been an audible voice. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. There was not even an indication that there was a conflict inwardly over what to do. Yeah, he immediately did it, which is, yeah, he didn't think. He didn't really try to reason with God. You know, he didn't say, well, this is why I'm not doing it. He just up and up and left. He was that, that against it, you know, for whatever reason in his head. And I think we've, we've talked about this a little bit. You know, it was his sort of, could have been his disdain just for the, the Ninevites and the Assyrians, knowing God's character and that what God was going to do when he went there and say, no, I'm not going to go plea with them because he, he knew God was merciful. He knew his character and he didn't want to see that given to the Ninevites, you know, almost selfishly, you know, in his own heart, just didn't want to see them forgiven because he just had that much disdain for them. And I think that that speaks a lot to, you know, Israel and just all the enemies around them, all the people attacking. And it's hard for us as humans sometimes to look at other people that are really against us and love them and have that compassion. I think that's a human nature issue that all of us at some point in our life kind of struggled with. And, and I'll go back to what you said at the very beginning, you know, about this being a simple word. And I remember as a, as a little kid, this was one of the first stories, you know, you learn 
when you're in children's church or in Sunday school, if you grew up in the church. But it really always resonated with me because it was so simple and it's so vivid too. I mean, you can see this sea raging, this mad, upset prophet that doesn't want to listen to God and thinks he's going to get away. And then the God of the universe says, wait a minute, you're not, not going anywhere. And just the whole thing with the fish. And it was just really always ingrained in my in my mind as a kid. But what I think it really taught me at a young age was just that you know, God is merciful. And even in Jonah's disobedience, even in, in what he was doing, you know, he still proved himself to be powerful. You see these men on the boat that feared the Lord because of him. And whether they kept that with them after that, you're not sure. But at a certain point, for one moment, they yes. knew the God of Israel was real and that he was the true God and they feared him. So even in disobedience and, and that God still showed himself and, and got the glory, which, which was always incredible to me. Yes, and, and to go back to what you were saying is the conflict, you don't see an inward conflict. Okay, what am I going to do like you do in many of the prophets? But when he heard this calling, he rose up to flee to Tarshish immediately. Yes, there was probably a strong dislike, probably hatred for the Ninevites. It was a wicked city and a wicked empire with aspirations to becoming a world power. And he knew of the, the issues in the future that they would have with the Ninevites. In fact, in about 50 years, the Assyrians are going to come through and destroy the northern kingdom and about 46 cities in the southern kingdom. And as a prophet, as a seer, he probably knew the danger of the Assyrians, and he knew the danger of Nineveh. The reason why he's going to flee that we'll learn later on is because he knows the character of God. And that's very important, that he had a personal relationship with God in the sense that he knew the character of God, that if they would repent, God would forgive. And he did not want forgiveness upon this city. So he didn't have a problem with the message. The message was God's judgment is coming upon this city. What he had a problem with that we'll see later on is the character of God. And so it doesn't say immediately, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. He went to the city of Joppa. Joppa is probably the oldest active harbor city in the world. Going back to the time of Solomon, Solomon brought in the cedars of Lebanon into Joppa. Now today this is Jaffa or Jaffa or Jaffa. Sometimes they call it the same city that connects to Tel Aviv and it's one city today. But this is the oldest active harbor city in the world. In this city, he goes there immediately because that's where the boats are. And he gets on a boat to go as far away from Nineveh as he can, thinking probably in his mindset, if I get far away, then I will not have to answer this call that God has upon my life. And that's something that resonates with all of us. Whether or not we are, and I'm not trying to spiritualize this, but whether or not when God has a calling upon our life, we don't sometimes physically go as far away from it as we can, but mentally and, and everything that we think about and everything that we do, we try to distance ourselves from what God is speaking to our life. This is what Jonah is doing. So he goes to Joppa and he is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And when you look at that, in his mindset, the call of God is over here 
in me going to Nineveh. And if I go to Nineveh, that's where God wants me to be. That's where God is with me. This is what God's called me to do. I'm going from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going all the way to a city that we believe was in southwest part of Spain, modern-day Spain. And so he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But God calls the storm to come up. And then the conflict is going on, and the men are recognizing that there's, there's something different about this storm. And they recognize that something supernatural is taking place. And they're wondering, who is at fault for this storm coming? And we're all going to be destroyed. We're all going to be killed. And they keep trying to bring in safety by throwing things overboard, rowing towards the shore, but it's not taking place. They finally cast lots. Jonah doesn't know what's going on, but then he's uh, woken up and brought up and they cast lots and it falls upon Jonah. Now, it's not clear from a lot of things that we study about ancient Middle East, about this custom of drawing lots of exactly how it was done, but it was a way in their mindset for God to show them what is the issue, what is the problem, or for God to make a decision. Think about Acts chapter 1 that when they chose lots to find out who would take Judas's place as the 12th apostle, it fell on Matthias, Matthias. And Matthias became the 12th apostle that would take Judas's place. They were not willing to choose. They wanted God to choose. And by choosing lots, they saw how it fell upon Matthias. And so in their mindset, this is a way of God showing them supernaturally who is at fault? It fell upon Jonah. Jonah tells him, throw me over into the sea and everything will be all right. Now, the problem with that is they don't want to see his blood upon their hands. So they fight against this instruction. You would think immediately that they would take Jonah and throw him over to save their lives, but they're still thinking about their own salvation. What can we do? They keep trying to row onto shore. They're not making ground. And then they, they cry out in verse 14. Then they called out to the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. So they're thinking if we throw him off the boat, we're responsible for him and the judgment of God will come upon us. Now, I do want to say this, Alan, and you alluded to it earlier. These were probably men that were pantheistic. Pantheistic means that they believe in God, but many ways to God. Or they could have been polytheistic, that there's millions of gods. And if they're polytheistic or pantheistic, the same mindset exists for both. So they're looking at this, that his God will hold us responsible for what we have done to him. So they cry out, do not hold this, his blood against us. For you, O Lord, have, have done as you have pleased. So they're crying out, God, have mercy upon us. Yeah. And they're crying out to the God of Jonah. Now, they have their own gods, but they're crying out to the God of Jonah. And in verse 15, so they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then they saw that this was the truth and that the God of Jonah was the one that caused this storm. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord greatly 
and they offered the sacrifice to the Lord. That is the yod heh vav heh the great I am, uh, that we pronounce Yahweh or Yehovah. They feared Yehovah or Yahweh greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. It doesn't mean that they became monotheistic at that time. Sometimes we make the mistake of saying that, say in the book of Daniel, whether you're dealing with Nebuchadnezzar or Darius or or one of the leaders that you see within the prophets, when they see the hand of God upon their lives and they recognize that God has done this, that doesn't mean that they abandon all their other gods and that they become a true believer. But here we see that they sacrificed unto the Lord and they made vows to Yahweh, the God of Jonah. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. It doesn't say well. But in every story, it's a, well, I don't know. We do not know. But a great fish he appointed, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Yeah, I like going back to this, was it verse, um, verse 10? At the beginning, we talk about how Jonah just rose up and fled. But he's been talking to these men on the boat about fleeing from the Lord. So I think something in his mind had weighed on him about it on that boat ride on that trip because he was freeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So, you know, Jonah's kind of been going around with what the story is. And for Jonah to say that to men that he doesn't know, to me, kind of means he was thinking about this and something was weighing on him. And he probably knew he didn't make <laughs> the best decision. He, um, he probably knew point, it he instantly. Thinks, yeah. Yeah, instantly, and, you know, and then, of course, when you're in a spot like that, you want to kind of, you get a little chatty and want to talk to people about it, so he'd been telling these these men that story, and then when it, that storm hit, it got real for them and said, wow, this might be Jonah that did this, let's cast lots to see. It's very similar to a person living in rebellion, know that they are in rebellion against God, and then something happens, and instantly they recognize, this is God speaking to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. And I, I believe that that is a, probably a similar context there. And again, I want to say one last time, I want to read verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. That is a historical fact. In fact, Yeshua, Jesus, is going to say, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be. Jesus recognized it as a historical fact, and he even compared that to him being in the grave for three days and three nights. And when we get to the Gospels, we'll see how I believe Jesus was actually in the grave three days and three nights, and we'll go through all of that and not just going to the grave Friday evening. But that's for a later subject. But it's a historical fact, and I believe Jesus upholds this as a historical fact. Now I'm going to read the prayer, Alan, to give you a break from reading. And if you'll be ready to read chapter 3, and then we'll finish with chapter 4. This is Jonah's prayer, and I want us to listen to this prayer. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. It is very intense sometimes when God gets our attention, when we're in rebellion against him and we recognize that God is doing something how we pray at that time. He didn't pray back in chapter one when God spoke to him. He just went to Joppa and left. But here he's in the stomach of the fish and he begins to pray. And he said, 
I called out of my distress unto the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All the breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice unto you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up unto the dry land. So here Jonah later on, we don't know exactly who is writing this. The story is about Jonah. But as Jonah, I believe, is writing back, he's writing about what he was experiencing as he was in the water, as he was swallowed by the fish, and how he remembered the Lord during that time and cried out to God and focused on the Lord again as his salvation that God was his salvation. If he was going to get out of that situation, it would have to be the salvation of the Lord. And at the end of this prayer, verse 9, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish. After he prayed that, as after he recognized that God was his only help, and his salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomit Jonah up unto dry land. I believe all of this. I believe that this is an honest prayer. I believe that this prayer took place while he was in the belly of this fish. I believe he cried out to God. He recognized his desperate situation. He only had one hope within his life, and that was the Lord. And if anyone was going to save him, only the Lord could save him. And anything that he vowed to the Lord, he would do. And after that, God caused the fish to vomit him up unto dry land. Now let's go on to chapter 3. If you could read chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days' walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that they may, be, that they may turn from his wicked way, 
and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. If you look at verse 1, a second time God spoke to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So the first time he got up, went to Joppa, went to, got on a boat to go to Tarshish. The second time, the same calling came upon Jonah's life. And if we run from the call of God, God gets our attention. And here in Jonah's life, the same calling was there. He had a second opportunity. And you have to remember the prayer. He says in his prayer, that which I have vowed I will pay, salvation is from the Lord. You get this sense in this prayer that he is saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do. I will do what you have asked me to do. So now he's on dry ground. He is headed towards Nineveh. He's going to get to Nineveh and be faithful to the call of God upon his life. And when you look at verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. That's such an important statement. Now it doesn't say that Jonah is preaching this massive message to them. He is simply just preaching the message, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. They recognize that this man has come from God and it says that they believed in God. Again, we don't know if they are believing in which context, but they do believe that this is a message from God, whether they're polytheistic, pantheistic, whether they're understanding that this is the God of Jonah. However they're understanding this, they're believing in God. And they believe that this man is speaking for God and bringing a message from God that in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed. And the response to this from the greatest to the least in that city is incredible because it's going to be a total repentance before God. The last book that we read, Prophecy, was the prophet Yoel, where, where Joel is calling the nation to a total repentance before God. And that, again, as, as you read what we taught in that, that, to me, is still a future event that has not taken place, if you see it prophetically. Here, the Ninevites repent and look at what they do. And they called a fast, put on sackcloth, which is a form of mourning and an outward sign of repentance, from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. Again, a sign of repentance before God outwardly that people could see that he's humbling himself before God. He issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing, do not let them eat or drink water. 
this repentance is to the point he is saying, don't even let the livestock have anything to eat or anything to drink. And it's incredible that later on, that's part of God's salvation for the city is the livestock as well. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but is this the this is the only one of two times where there's a three-day fast with no food or water. I think Esther called one. I'm not sure if there's any other, but that's a pretty big deal when you see the, the no water included in the fast as well. Yeah, I'm trying to think about a, a three-day fast, and we would have to look at that and research it. But you do see during the time of Esther, I'm not sure beyond that, but yeah. it's a good question. I love how this speaks to, you know, like you said earlier about the the simpleness of Jonah's message. And that just shows the power of going where God wants you to go and following what God wants you to say. God's obviously appointed, asked Jonah to do this. And when he goes, it's real simple. 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. But to me, that speaks to the power of the the Holy Spirit and God speaking to people on the inside. It wasn't Jonah's persuasive speech that made these people turn. It was God's will and plan for Nineveh. So when he went there and obeyed God, God was able to speak through him and then speak on the hearts of the people, where this got all the way to the king. I mean, you got to figure there's this outside Hebrew guy that just got spit up from a whale. You know, he comes in, and then in a short period of time, the king of this amazingly great city, as it's described in the book of Jonah, heard about it and says, we need to listen to this. This is God speaking. And that's really the Holy Spirit speaking to everybody in this nation that what this man is saying is true, and you're going to be destroyed if you don't listen. Yeah, I like how the way that you you mentioned that being faithful to the call of God, and you look at this, he went to the place that God called him to go. It doesn't elaborate upon his message. So the focus is not so much that this person had great ability to preach and to see the conviction of God through his spirit upon people's lives, and they start repenting because of this individual. All it gives that he starts preaching that in 40 days, this city is going to be destroyed. The judgment of God is coming against Nineveh. So the emphasis is not on his preaching ability. The emphasis is on him being faithful to God and God bringing him there and speaking the word of God to the city. And they recognize and they believed in God. The emphasis is on God here. And yes, he is the instrument of God there, but he's not playing the most important part here. This was God's plan, God's direction, God's calling to go to Nineveh to preach a message of judgment. He's not even preaching a message of repentance to them. Yeah, He's preaching a message of judgment. But him knowing the character of God later on is why he ran away to Tarshish. It's not about him. He's being faithful to God, but it's about God and what he wants to bring to the people. And he's bringing a message of judgment. Their response is total repentance. And you ask the question, is this any other time outside of Esther of a three-day fast? And And right now I cannot recall that. But... This is such a repentance. Look at verse 8. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth (laughs) and let men call on God earnestly that each man turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. So they recognize why this judgment is coming and they recognize and they believe in God, the God of Jonah, 
and they are mourning and repentant and repenting and part of repenting is turning away from the evil that you're doing. This is what they're calling for. Not just man, but beast. Yeah. Beast are the the cattle are part of this. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't really fully understand this, except God's going to, in totality, save this city. And it's almost like the king was so moved and knew this was so true that he said, we're not taking any chance. Put the cows in sackcloth too. Anybody that's around, any being, any beast, animal, man, woman, you know, you need to repent. Everything needs to be in repentance. Yeah. Everything needs to be fasting. This is totality as a city. It's not just for our people. It's for our children. It's for our livestock. It's for our economy. It's for everything. We want just total repentance of this city. I don't know if we ever see this like this in the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, in the history of the, is the nation of Israel. Do we see a repentance on this scale? Mm-hmm where it's even involving the cattle within the city or maybe or outside of the city, but a part of the economy of this city. When God saw their deeds, verse 10, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented, God pulled back concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So he told them through Jonah Judgment is coming in 40 days. There's not any indication that Jonah even called them to repentance. They believed in God when they heard this message, and they started mourning. They started repenting. They started fasting in totality and crying out to God, and God is going to forgive them. That's so incredible, and this is a wicked city. This is a city of immorality, of violence, of paganism. It's a a center for an invading army that's going to come in the future and invade and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel and destroy 46 cities in Judah. It's an incredibly evil empire. But at this time, in this city, the capital of the Assyrians, Nineveh is going to repent before God and God's going to forgive them. Yeah, that's incredible. Do you remember what David says? And this doesn't just apply to Israelites. He said, a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. That principle is true for everybody at any time, whatever your background, whatever your situation, if you're living in such evil in your life, if you'll come to God with repentance of mourning and praying and fasting, and turning away from evil, and turning to the living God, and cry out to God, God will not despise that if it comes from your heart. And this also indicates that this was not a surface-level repentance. This was a true belief in the God of Jonah, and a true repentance where they're saying, we're going to stop this lifestyle. Yeah, and to me, this also speaks to the fact that we can never look at somebody outwardly, a city, a nation, a person individually, and say this person is too far gone. They're too wicked for God to move and to move their heart to repentance. We've heard story after story of people that were the worst of the worst, and someone, you know, the Lord tells them, go talk to them or hand them a track or go tell them about me, and their lives are just radically changed because they repent fully with their heart. And, you know, some people, you've heard stories in prisons and murderers, the worst person you can think of. You never can count them out because you never know, you know, when God's Mm going to speak to them or what his plan is for them. 
Let, let me read to comment on what you're saying. And we don't do a lot of cross-referencing, but sometimes we like to do that because you made the mention someone too far gone, that we give up on them. One of my favorite chapters in all of the Old Covenant is Isaiah 59. And it starts off, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. It's beginning this great chapter about calling Judah to a point of repentance and because of their sin. And he is saying, the Lord's hand is not too short. His ear so dull that it cannot hear. That when people cry out in repentance and when people are living in sin, and please hear this, when people are living in sin, the only prayer that God is wanting to hear from you is a prayer of repentance. Otherwise, he's not going to listen. People live in sin and they cry out to God, God bless me and God give me this and God do this and, and different things of that nature. But if you go through Isaiah 59, what God is wanting to hear from the Jewish people is a prayer of repentance. And God's hand is not too short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. And when you look at Jonah, it reminds me from what you were saying that we look at an individual, we look at a city, we look at a nation, look at America today, and we think, wow, it's too far gone. How will it ever come back to repentance? I mean, the evil that is here and the hatred of what is good and what represents God is so clear as you look at it. How could this nation ever be saved? But the hand of the Lord is not too short that it cannot save. Amen. And you look at Nineveh, and you look at this city that Jonah probably hated this city. And he hated it probably with a passion. He wanted it to, to be destroyed. He, wasn't, he didn't have a problem with the message that in 40 days your city is going to be destroyed. What he had a problem with is the character of God. Because he knew the character of God. And that's why I want to get to chapter 4 here. So a total repentance is taking place a total coming back to God. God does not bring judgment. He pulls back, and he does not allow destruction to come to Nineveh. Chapter 4. Let's read chapter 4. I'll read chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. What is the preceding verse? When God saw their deeds, and they turned from the wicked way, from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah. What displeased him? That he relented from bringing on the calamity. <laughs> that they were saved. Yeah. That they were not destroyed. Yeah. And he became angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I had said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious, compassionate God, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Why did he run away from the call of God? Because he knew the character of God. There's no other reason for him to do this, because he knew if he went there and he preached the message of judgment, and they repented of their sins that God would forgive them. And so this is what he's angry about. It's one of the only times that you see 
in the Bible that a preacher preaches or a prophet prophesies or someone is sharing a message from God and the people say amen and they do exactly what they're told to do and they respond to a message of repentance and the person gets angry about it. There's probably other places, but right now it's not coming to me, but this stands out with Jonah. And he knew the character of God and he did not want to see salvation come to Nineveh. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for death is better to me than life. Now, if there's, it never says in the text he hated the Ninevites, but if you look at verse 3, in context, it really speaks of a hatred for the Ninevites. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life, because God did not destroy them. He would rather be dead than to live and see the salvation of God. Then the Lord said, Do you the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all of his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. So he's just going from misery to misery. Yeah, a little bit of self-loathing, a little bit of pouting. Yes. <laughs> and that east scorching wind in the Middle East, I mean, at one time, Alan, I was in the desert of Rajasthan, and it got up to 54 Celsius, which is about 130 degrees Fahrenheit. And it feels like a hot blow dryer just on your skin, <laughs> and you're already in the scorching heat. And then it comes, and I can remember feeling that one time, and I said, that's got to be similar to the feeling that Jonah had when that scorching east wind came there in the Middle East. But it's more of, I think, coming out of the context, he's already said, I'd rather die than to see this city saved. And now he gets some comfort physically, and then that comfort's gone. It's better that I die. He's just living in misery because of what God has done within this city. Then God said to Jonah, verse 9, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? He said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals. And he is saying to Jonah, you're having compassion on this plant that you didn't even cause to come about or even to be destroyed. Should I not, for the Ninevites, have compassion on this great city, which there's 120,000 children within this city? I believe the reference here of not knowing their right 
from their left is a, is a reference to people that are not accountable for their own actions, children within the city, and there's livestock within this city, animals within this city, and people get confused about this, but go back to the repentance. The repentance of the king from the greatest to the least was not only the people, but all of the economy, the animals of the city as well. A total repentance. And God is saying, I'm looking at this wicked city. They're crying out for repentance. Should I not have compassion on 120,000 children after they're crying out for repentance and for all the animals within this city? And God is teaching him a lesson. You didn't cause this plant to grow up. You didn't cause it to be destroyed. You want to die because of compassion for this plant. You want this plant. Should I not have compassion over this city where there's 120,000 children that don't know their right from their left? They're not accountable for their own actions. This city is crying out for repentance. And look at the animals within this city. Don't I have a right to have compassion? Yeah, and these and these people are his creation. You know, he created the people of Nineveh. They, right. These are his children. Then Jonah's upset about a plant, which he had nothing to do with. Right. God's saying, what about the people, my people, that I created that are in Nineveh? Should I not be compassionate on them? And right. he really does give up. Right. And he wanted to die because of the plant. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't have anything of bringing it up or destroying it. Yeah. But God, these, this is God's creation, like what you're saying. Should I not have compassion on a city that's crying out for repentance? There's 120,000 children in this city. There's livestock. There's animals. There's an economy. They're crying out for uh, repentance, and they're my creation. I have a right to have compassion on them. Mm -hmm. And this is the message that he's saying to Jonah. Jonah didn't have a right. He didn't cause the plant to come up. He didn't cause it to die. But he's wanting to die because of the plant. And this is a lesson that God is bringing forth to Jonah. Now, I want to say people talk about the age of accountability. There are two places within the Bible that really speak about the age of accountability. I believe it's here in Jonah chapter 4 at the end of God having compassion upon children that do not know their right from their left. They're not really accountable for their actions. Again, in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks, as we get to the book of Romans later on, as we're going through the New Covenant, we'll talk about the age of accountability in Romans chapter 7. So I do believe that there's an age of an accountability because God is looking at 120,000 who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand. And I believe that this is talking about small children that are not responsible for their actions. Mm -hmm. But again, this is coming from the repentance of the people. People that were responsible for their actions, they are repenting from the heart. They're calling for a total repentance, like I don't even know is described for the nation of Israel as we go through the history of Israel, because they're including their livestock. Yeah. Let all the animals, let them fast. We want to see God's redemption for the whole city. Here we see God teaching Jonah a great lesson. Now, we always talk about what it meant and then what it means for us today. One thing when we look at what it meant, know the character of God. Know his character. 
that God is wanting to bring repentance. God is wanting to see repentance in us to bring about his salvation. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. David says after his great sin, Nineveh was a city that was immoral, had evil in every aspect of society. But when they repented before God, God forgave them. People say all the time, should I minister to this person or that person? And is that person too far gone? Can they really be saved? Yes, if they truly have a repentance from the heart, it is God's character that is wanting to save them. It's the character of God. It's in knowing the character of God in order to see the salvation of God in action. So never forget that. Also, when God calls us to do something, you can try to flee from it, but God has a way of getting our attention. And when God calls us to do something, we must do it. It's not, maybe I will, maybe I won't. At that point, you're either going to follow God or live in rebellion against God. And God is wanting to use Jonah, and God does use Jonah. He does get his attention. He does send him to Nineveh, and in a simple message, the whole city repents. The salvation of God is so incredible. Never forget that. Also know that God loves his creation. God loves all of humanity. God has a plan of redemption for all of us. The covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, with Israel, the nation of Israel, was always to be a light to the nations that the nations like Nineveh could come to know the God of Abraham. And I I like to, when you go back to the the repentance that it started from the top down. You know, the king, the leadership at that time set the example and put on the sackcloth first, set in the ashes. And I think that speaks to me, to, to anybody in leadership or anybody that's that's leading something that needs to repent or see something going astray, that, that you can lead by example and repent and that leadership and the people under you will see that example. And that's a great way yes. to start start that repentance process for maybe someone that doesn't see it. But if they see you as a leader doing that, whether you're leader of your home, your business, your church, whatever it is, you can lead that by example, repent, and the people under you are going to follow that and see that. And think about the second chapter, the prayer. What is Jonah doing? Repenting. He's repenting, yep. And God saved him. Yep. But now he's angry because he preached. They repented and God saved them. Yeah. And it brings up so many of the illustrations of Yeshua, of Jesus, about God forgiving. If you're not able to forgive others, uh, how is God going to forgive you? Jonah experiences the salvation of God after he repents, but now he's angry at God because of the repentance of the Ninevites. Yeah. And so everything that in which God deals with us, God deals with others as well. Yeah. The same principles all the time because his character does not change. God does not change, and his character never changes. And I think Jonah, too, in, in this, in the story, is, is vulnerable, and I think it's, it speaks to human nature um, in us as well. And sometimes, yeah, we, we can do things, and, and we don't have the best attitude about it, and we wrestle with you know, decisions, and, and if God's calling you to do something or telling you to go somewhere to speak to somebody, you know, I think it shows that it's, that it's okay to have some of these feelings sometimes. But Jonah ultimately repented, did what God told him to do. And yeah, there's a little bit of pouting at the end of it. But, 
you know, this is this is human nature stuff, and, and none of us are perfect. And I think I really like that, and I always liked that as a kid, gravitated towards that, because Jonah wasn't necessarily the, the perfect prophet that went and, you know, called fire on down and repentance. You know, he struggled, and he, he ran at first, and then at the end, he still wasn't quite there, and God was still with him, still taught him, still used him, you know, and still at the end of the taught still him Still reaching lesson. out to him, too. Yeah, he was still trying to show him. And, and explain to him in a loving way, I think, in verse 11 about, you know, with that example with the with the plant, you know, and taking that. He's like, he tried to show him, you know, God could have just taken Joan out, you know, you think, you know, if you wanted to and, and said your attitude's not right. Yes. But he didn't. He's taught him and he cared about Jonah as well, even though Jonah had the right message but didn't quite do it in the right way. Right. And it's going to be interesting hopefully someday, to talk with him yeah. <laughs> and see where he went from that point on in his life yeah. and see if his heart changed. God can use us even when our hearts really are not where it should be at that time. If we will be faithful to God and be an instrument in God's hands, God can use us. And by doing what God has asked us to do, not only is he ministering to others, but he ministers to us as well. Yeah. And that's another principle that's very powerful here that you're bringing out right here at the end. Yeah, and I see, I mean, you look at this book, and I mean, whether whatever Jonah did after this in his personal life, this story has, you know, is the Word of God, and it's blessed millions and millions of people through this book. If he wrote it or not, I think he wrote it. But yeah, this, this Word was, in this story, was carried on, you know, to the end of eternity, it's going to be told to people and to children and to, you know, on this podcast. And I think that's a testimony that God used Jonah and didn't write him off after this little lesson that he gave him after Nineveh. Amen. Well, let's close in prayer. We're at one hour here. We said 20 minutes, yeah, <laughs> but we're at one hour. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace upon our lives. Thank you, God, for the picture of your mercy and your compassion upon the Ninevites how as they repented, you saved them. God, bring us and let us live a life of repentance before you. Lord, let us be humble, let us be contrite in spirit, and let us tremble at your word. This is what you're looking for. And Lord, let that be true within our lives. And God, let us take the message of, of what you did through Jonah, this great message to the Ninevites. And Lord, let us never forget it. And let us, Lord, have an understanding of your character that doesn't run away from the call of God, but an understanding of your character that we want to stay right in the center of your will all the time. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at Integrity underscore Global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.